Hello, my beautiful Woman Inc. listeners. I have the best gift to share with you this week. She is the queen of the metaverse, Harry Potter loving dreamer, just also happens to be the founder who is leading the creation of Disney's metaverse through her company, Illumix. I have the brilliant Karen Sinha with us this week, and I fangirled pretty hard, or like, really hard. Karen created Illumix when she was only 25 years old and is one of Silicon Valley's few minority leaders with a technical background. In 2021, she was named one of Variety's 10 innovators to watch. And beyond pushing boundaries on technical innovation, she's also guiding Illumix to lead by example in the gaming industry on topics like gender parity by selecting a leadership team evenly split between men and women, which is huge in the tech world. Karen received a degree in electrical engineering, computer science, and mathematics from MIT and holds advanced degrees in mathematics, statistics, and business from the University of Cambridge, LSE, and Stanford. With a passion to support girls in STEM, she founded the nonprofit Shine for Girls, which empowers girls to learn math by building their confidence through dance. Illumix is taking the metaverse to a different level by working with major brands to create virtual try-ons and partnering with a multitude of industries to create their metaverse. I hope you are as blown away by Karen as I am. She is a wealth of knowledge and has such beautiful, humble energy. Now, let's get over to my conversation with Karen. Welcome to the Woman Inc. podcast. This is the place for the new generation of women looking to lead the life of their absolute dreams. I'm your host, Jenna Toddy, entrepreneur, life coach, and strategist for modern businesswomen and entrepreneurs. I am a city girl, sriracha lover, and that friend who will hype you up when you forget how powerful you truly are. I am on a mission to make Women Inc. the most powerful network of women who are leveling up, owning what they want, and becoming who they've always wanted to be. Have you ever wondered what it would look like if you went all in on yourself? No turning back. If so, you are in the right place, my girl. Let's get started. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I, like I just said, fan girling hard. I'm very excited. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Okay, so... I think you have maybe the craziest background I've ever seen, like the most impressive background of anyone I've ever heard of. So first, please walk us through. I mean, you went to Cambridge. You have a graduate degree from Stanford, MIT. I mean, how are you sleeping, Karen? What? How How am I sleeping? No, you know, honestly, a lot of the academic background, I think, was more just about was less about it being very planned and this always being my path and more about just saying yes to opportunities as they came up. I never actually thought about myself as an engineer growing up. I didn't have access to engineering classes. I didn't code in high school, none of that. And so it was really when I went to MIT and I felt the energy during like a visitor weekend, I fell completely in love with the institution. And that's how it became my top choice and, and and I ended up going there for undergraduate. And it was really only it was really only senior year of college that I really understood that I wanted to go and do graduate school. And I started applying for scholarships. And that's when 
you know, going to the UK, living abroad, which had always been something I'd thought about in the back of my mind, became a real opportunity for me. And so when that presented itself, I just said yes. And I didn't have a totally firm idea on how that would play out. But I think a lot of how I've landed where I am has been just taking the time and being always open to your, I think, path can be later than you expect. There's so much pressure today for people to like know what their life path is from a very young age or an expectation that at least by college or at least by grad school, you have to know what you're doing. I really came across tech and media and entertainment and the kind of confluence of all of those different pieces when I was maybe 24 or 25 for the first time. And that was that was really when I found that aha moment of this is definitely what I'm meant to do and what I think about all the time, even though I think those pieces had been woven into my story throughout. So it's it's less, I think, about it being a huge intimidating block of, you know, I did go to MIT and I studied electrical engineering and computer science and math and then Cambridge and did more math and then LSE and Stanford to do, you know, more on the machine learning side as well as kind of business school at Stanford. And so it sounds, I think, like a lot, but it was really just about it being a step by step finding what the right path was for me and just pursuing what I really enjoyed. Yeah. And I mean, so you were 25, which is the age you just mentioned when you started your company, Lumix, right? Yes. Yes, that's correct. Which is very young to start this company. First of all, I don't know if I fully, there's so much to know in this space. So I'm just going to (laughs) pretend I know nothing and ask you questions little by little for anyone who's just so curious about this world. So Illumix is blank. Can you fill in that blank? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So, you know, we are really a foundational engine or infrastructure company that's focused on bringing the digital and physical worlds together. I think in today's diction and, uh, you know, you could think about us as an infrastructure engine content play inside of the metaverse. Uh, You know, previously, we really more defined ourselves about that intersection point between digital and physical. And that was really the inspiration for the company is can we power this next generation of content where it's not about being locked into our screens or our phones, but is really about a 3D immersive world where we're actually more a part of the real world than ever before. And I think that was that's really the nugget that started this entire company. And that's what I think the mission has been and stayed true to throughout the journey. And what was the point where you knew this was the company you were going to create? What was the aha (laughs) moment, if there was one? I think it's a series of aha moments. I realized when I was in undergraduate that I really loved this field of AI that was coming up and that this was really something fascinating to me and the idea of specifically computer vision. So that's a branch of of artificial intelligence where you're basically pretend you're a camera. What do you see? How do you understand things? Looking at the world as though it's filled with pixels. I became really excited about that and thinking about what that could mean for the future. And so in graduate school, at some point, I kind of got lit on fire by the idea that this would be the next big platform in this world, right? We all have a a really high powered camera and computer in our pocket at all times. That's an incredible moment. You can now start to leverage these computer vision algorithms on devices. And I just thought that's going to change the world. And that could change the world for the better and remove some of this, I think, separation we all feel like some of I am a huge fan of tech. Obviously, I love 
everything and the freedom and the connection that the digital world affords, but it is different than meeting someone in real life or having real physical experiences. And I think in the last two years, we've experienced that very sharply. And so I became even, and this must have been in 2015, I think, I became very, very interested in this idea of leveraging the the camera and the supercomputer in our pockets to create a different reality. And I was a huge nerd, which is probably clear from the (laughs) academic background there, but I always have been. I've embraced my nerdom since a young age. And uh, the first thing I could imagine building was being a witch in the world of Harry Potter. That was my dream growing up. That was absolutely, I cannot tell you the amount of disappointment I felt at 11 when I realized I was just a muggle. And I think that a lot of this is early on was sort of this like journey to become powerful and magical and a witch and be a part of this world. And, you know, I I built early things in the worlds of Star Wars, Harry Potter, Mario, a lot of these classic IPs. And it wasn't until I moved to California and really became exposed to the entertainment industry that I realized this is a real career path. This is, you know, everyone from the classic tech companies like Apple and Amazon to big entertainment studios like Disney have really been thinking about how to merge technology and media together. And I felt that this was a unique perspective and one that would be important for the future. And so I jumped off and did it on my own. (laughs) That's that's amazing. And I love, I would also love to be a witch with you in Harry Potter. So if you build this game, invite me in. (laughs) Yeah. You touched on something that I think is really important, which is just this I think there's this fear of the metaverse and I've heard a lot of um, people speak on what will my children's life be like? Will they know how to talk to people? Like, are we going to stop going outside and live in this virtual world? Um, But I, you know, come from a VC background and I'm president of an e-commerce company. So I'm, I'm already there mentally of what do we need to do to start thinking about this world because it's here and I'm, I'm guessing it was similar to the dot-com era where people probably thought the internet was going to like ruin the world. What do you think, I see both sides, how do you think we will transition into this metaverse in a way that's good for society and not going to isolate people? <laughs> Certainly. So I think, I think a lot of the interest and hype around the metaverse is really this understanding that there's a new platform coming, right? The internet was the platform that we've all kind of had for the last decade or so, and that there's something new coming and there are lots of different ideas and components that get us there. That's where Web3 comes in. That's where metaverse concepts come in. What I think is less defined is what the metaverse actually is and how we engage in it. The most common perception of it, which I think is fueled by a combination of Zuckerberg and pop culture like Ready Player One, is this idea of fully virtual VR worlds where all plugged in and totally digital all day. I think that will be a component of the metaverse, but I don't think it will be the majority of how people spend their time. I actually really believe firmly that it will be about engaging in the real world and all of these different moments of creativity, these different lenses in which you can view the real world are present as a part of our experience. So it's not that we're going to be in a headset and be looking at different screens as we work and be in a virtual conference room necessarily. It might be that we're wearing a pair of glasses and now we have access to infinite screens and you can have 
I always imagine like a Star Wars style hologram in front of you when you want to talk to someone. And so I actually think that's going to be much more natural, much more immersive and actually much more connected. And I, I don't particularly buy into the fully virtual, all digital the real world doesn't matter because the real world, it does matter. Physical experiences matter. Physical connections matter. And ultimately, I'm a big believer philosophically that technology should exist to better enable us to connect to real things and real world and real experiences. And I think to the, a large extent, that is what it, it has done. And I think that that pattern will continue. I don't think it will exist or be successful in separating us. I think it will be about connecting and being a part of the world in a deeper, more naturalized and personal way than it is today. When you guys are having conversations at Illumix with, I mean, you have a huge team. You have like 30 people on your team, right? I saw. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, I want to touch on your team and you as a leader and all of that. But what types of conversations are you guys having as far as the future of e-commerce in the metaverse. And I saw, you know, you guys do trying on rings, which is exactly what you're saying. You're bringing the real world just in a little bit more of an experimental way, or I don't know how I would say it exactly, but it's it's really, really cool. Can you touch on e-commerce and what you think, if you were an e-commerce brand, you would be like, you should be doing this right now to prepare for the metaverse. <laughs> Yes. So I think the biggest I think e-commerce will absolutely be rocked by this next movement. I think it'll be I think this is a good example, actually, of how it will be how it will move for the better during COVID. I think what a lot of people experience is people are not going into stores as much. There's a huge growth in e-commerce and online shopping. While there are certainly benefits of that, right, there's higher accessibility for people who might not be in the same physical city as a store. You can have much wider reach. There's also a number of negative implications, right? You can't try things on. You don't know how something is going to look on you. And what you end up getting, or certainly the way I shop, is like you order a lot of things and then you send it back, which has incredible environmental impact, right? And and there's just no way to really solve for that. You can have the most diverse models in the world, but no one is going to look like you. You're never really going to know how an item looks on you until you try it on. And so how do you solve for that? How do you have all the benefits of something being accessible to anyone on the planet, but without the same level of environmental impact and and allowing people to make more informed choices about what they purchase. And I think ultimately that's a great example. That's kind of the virtual try-on space. Illumix has started to power that in the last several months, and that's been our highest and fastest growing division is this idea of through the web, you can actually very accurately and realistically right from the website, see what something looks like on you. So I think the big trend we're gonna see is a movement towards having each of these assets both in digital and physical form. It's called a digital twin. So everything you sell, there'll be a digital version of. This enables people to try it on before purchasing it in real life. It might even mean that you can buy things only digitally, right? When you think about things like NFT. So there's a lot of implications, but I think the biggest trend we will see into the metaverse with e-commerce is this idea of having digital twins of everything that we purchase. And I think that will be normal. Like today, would you buy something where there were no reviews? Like if there were zero reviews on something, would you purchase it? No, that would be so sketchy to me. I would, it would be a non-starter, but reviews are, you know, still a somewhat new concept, right? It hasn't been around for 50 years or anything. And I think that what we're going to see in the next five years or so is if you ask someone, oh, would you buy something without having seen it on you or interacted with it in some kind of digital format first, they would say, no, that's crazy. I think that's this is really where it's going is this idea of purchasing blind, which we're used to doing 
will no longer be a thing in five to 10 years. Totally. I mean, I think Rent the Runway did that really well, not in a virtual sense, but have you ever rented and you can see all the girls wearing the dress and you're like, that's not what it looks like, or it looks better than (laughs) I thought it looked like. That's great. So other than trying things on, obviously, what if you have something like a scenting company, I'm asking um, selfishly, (laughs) but something where you can't try it on and you need another sense to be able to experience that? So I think that this is where some of the work around haptics and this idea of at a high level, if we look at the biggest trends in technology, it's been about where the computer is, how powerful it is and how kind of how it exists, right? Whether it was a supercomputer that was super limited in terms of who could access it to these big clunky computers that now you could have several machines of, you know, in graduate schools or in some in some homes all the way down to the personal computer, a laptop, mobile phone, where now you have this in your pocket. That was really the genius of Steve Jobs was realizing there was a moment where it could go from being connected like a BlackBerry to actually having a computer in your pocket. I think the next phase of that is having the augmentation of all of this as a part of our body, whether it's like the clothes we're wearing, whether it's the glasses or contacts on our face, whether it's something in our ears and perhaps even something that incorporates something like a scent kind of component to it. So I think eventually that will be something that will be translatable. We're probably further out. Visual is certainly, I think, the sense that's pushing forward the most aggressively right now. But, you know, I've, I've actually spoken to a number of brands in that space and a lot of how they're thinking about communicating it when they think about digital twins is through a visual medium, is almost through like, you know, pairing with an artist and thinking about what would be the visual representation as an NFT? How do you express that? So that, you know, I think different scents certainly evoke different emotions. And I think if you can find the right visual pair, that's probably the bridge until we get into truly being able to have every sense engaged with the metaverse. And we're just not quite there yet from a hardware perspective. Right. Certain hardware will will come into play there. At some point, I think so. So let's bring you back to 25-year-old Karen. And you are, you've grown this team, like I said, to about 30 people. How have you as a leader been able to really grow as a woman as well in, in this very male dominated world. How have you feel like you've gained the support of your team to trust you, to trust this vision, to come on board and and follow you? This is a good question. I think it's actually the single most important quality in an entrepreneur, getting people to believe in your vision, being able to bring in the highest quality people and align them. That's the shortcut to success. I mean, that's actually the essential backbones of what it takes to build a company. And so I would say at the first level, a lot of what you do as a founder, when you're in execution mode outside of the kind of determining direction and pieces like that is be able to tell your story well. If you can't do that, you're going to struggle at finding funding. You're going to struggle at hiring the best people. So I think this is the question I ask all young founders when they are looking at starting a company is how does your company fill in the blank to in five years and 10 years, the world will look like X. How does what you're doing change? Like, what is the big vision here? Because if you can't express 
what is the world that we're building towards, it becomes, I think, a lot harder to bring in the best people. When you have a really clear vision of this is what the future is going to look like and backwarding into this is how my company plays a critical role towards it, I actually think that's exciting. The best, smartest people, they want to work on something that feels important, that feels like they're building the future, that, you know, lights them up. Everyone wants to be alive, right? I think people, even if you're viewing it as a nine to five, and most people joining a startup, to be clear, are definitely not. uh, When you're really looking at dedicating that much of your life and your energy towards something, you need to believe in something. You need to have that North Star. And I think as an entrepreneur, if you can communicate that effectively and if you can find the right group of people who believe in that and bring them in, you can bring in the right type of people. And a lot of that is actually listening and and, interviews early on, especially with the first five to 10 people. I spent most of the time, I basically did two things. One, I would talk to the smartest people in the field I possibly could. And if you know, they were out of reach, I would ask who are the three best people you've ever worked with? And can I speak with them? And basically through that method, I was able to talk to some of the best people in the field. And when you really listen to what those people have to say, there's usually one in that group that is looking for something more that is excited and you can hear it in their voice. You can hear what makes them tick, what gets them excited, what they want to be doing, right? Like what is it that motivates them to get up and go to work every day? And When you find something that you think is aligned with the company and then you're able to really express what you're doing, that tended to be the magic of how you hire the best people. It's that combination of who are the three best people and really being able to express and listen to them about how they think about the future. And then I think the second piece, and there's inherent trust in that. There's inherent trust that's required. The second piece is when someone's actually in the company and that goes down to how you act, not what you say. It's what you do to gain trust. Are you transparent? Do you give people autonomy? Are you checking in with people? Are you listening to to your teammates, to the market, to your customers? I think there's a huge amount of humility where as a leader, I specifically hired people that knew a lot more than I did. That's that's the key, right? You want you want the team around you to be excellent. If I can do something better than the person I hire, then that's not a good hire. And so I think by bringing in great people and giving them freedom to go and execute as long as you are aligning them, as long as you are growing them and you are being honest with them about everything that you can and transparent, you create a huge environment of trust so that even in tough times, people want to follow you. So speaking on funding, you have raised, I think it was 13 million, right? Which is incredible. Michael Bay, one of one of your investors, which is incredible. How did you prepare for those meetings? And I know it's probably such a just like nerve wracking meeting to walk into and be like, hey, I'm I'm doing this thing. Can you give me money? Like just the the inherent nature of that conversation, I think it is nerve wracking. How did you prepare for those talks? So it's a combination of obviously there are certain things you do to prepare. You make sure you work on your pitch deck. You have your data rooms available. There's sort of the tangible pieces where you can go in and know you're ready. But I don't get terribly nervous in those meetings for, I think, three reasons. One, you're going to do a lot of them and get rejected from most. And once you wrap your head around that, each individual meeting loses a little bit of its fear. This isn't the end all be all. This is about it's I think that this goes to the second point. It's about changing your mindset on these meetings. It's not about. 
I'm begging you for money, right? This is about just as much about you as a founder finding the right fit for you. You're trying to learn just as much about that VC or that investor as they're trying to learn about you. And if it's not a right fit and it's, you know, they don't give you money or if you don't like them and you don't want to accept their money, that's fine, right? It's almost like dating, right? It's that's it's okay. But you really want the best person on board who understands you and your vision. And ultimately, I think those things naturally align. And so when you go in with less of a fear headspace of I'm selling to you, I think if you remove the salesman headspace and you think about it more as I'm sharing my life's passion with you and what I work on, and I'm going to see if you understand that vision, if you can participate in that vision, if that's something where it feels like I would want you on my team, it really changes the headspace. I think you're more natural. I think that VCs pick up on that level of comfort in a very different way. And then the third piece is it's an element of confidence of just, you know, your business more than these people do, right? Like they're, they're going to ask you generic questions and you want, and in fact, you want to filter for the ones that are asking the hard questions that really dug deeply about this. But that only, I get excited in these meetings, especially when I'm, when I'm getting real questions back and they're asking tough things because it's a chance for you to learn from people who have seen it and who have grown incredible companies. It's a chance it's a chance for you to justify or question your own thinking and opinions on how you've thought about your business. And I think you just have to know in your heart, I don't need to prepare much for these meetings, honestly. And that's not out of a you know thing of pride or I'm bragging. It's because I know my business. This is my life. I think about this day in, day out, every metric, every component of it, what the future looks like, what mistakes we've had, what we've learned from those mistakes, what are the biggest risk points, what keeps me up at night. This is all I think about. I live and breathe this business. There is nothing that a VC talking to me for 30, 60 minutes is going to throw at me that I haven't thought about a hundred times before. And when you just know that, it's just not that scary. Oh, yes, girl. I think that was that was maybe the best answer I've heard on that, because what you just described is just being in your worth. It's knowing your worth and not needing the approval or acceptance of anyone. Uh, and I think that's the most powerful state we can live in. And anyone listening to this, like that's the most best preparation I think you could do as a founder. So you have an amazing, I don't know if you'd call it partnership, but you have worked, you work with Disney. Can you talk about that collaboration partnership and how that came to be? We were a part of the Disney Accelerator, which was an incredible program for us. You know, we were speaking to Disney for a while uh, as there is, I think they're one of the greatest entertainment companies in the world. They have, I would argue, probably the best IP collection in the world. And we are really operating at the intersection of the future of media, right? How do we create that technology that operates at the future of media? And I think that's very aligned to... I have always been a huge Disney fan, the stories, the movies. And, uh, you know, I actually even did reports in business school. Uh, I did an independent study on the company because it's steeped in this very deep tradition of technology and this concept of, you know, Walt's concept of tomorrow. And there was something very aligned about that. So when we had the opportunity to potentially work with Disney or, you know, receive an investment from the Disney Accelerator, that was something that we certainly jumped at. And I can see a lot of potential coming from something like that. And it's not, you know, and, and obviously Disney's an incredible company, but it's it's broader than that, right? Our platform is really about all of these different use cases across entertainment, across gaming, across e-commerce. And we're really fortunate, I think, also to work with a number of other entertainment companies as well. And I'm really excited to see what we could actually do with 
some of these IPs and what some of these IPs are able to do with our technology. I think it's very much a give and take at this point. So when you talk to these companies, not just Disney, but when you're going out there and you're talking to these really big companies, how do you feel like the the market in general is looking at the virtual world? Is real estate the biggest thing? Should people be buying real estate <laughs> in the metaverse? Like what would you say is the most important thing to focus on right now? I think when I speak to these companies, a lot of people are in the headspace of they know this will be the future, but they don't know when it will be in the future. And they don't necessarily know how to best engage in a way that's valuable today and tomorrow. And I think that's really where Illumix comes in, is we're presenting a platform that creates value today for today's consumers, today's customers. It doesn't require hardware or a headset or something that's in the distant future. But something that when you onboard, you sort of have, I kind of joke, it's metaverse insurance, right? Once you have your 3D assets and experiences on our platform, you're sort of guaranteed no matter which direction the market goes in, we will be the ones connecting you into it. We will be the ones powering your experiences throughout those different end ecosystems. And so I think the biggest gap today is a lot of the things, frankly, that are happening in the fully virtual world, buying real estate, for example, which you brought up, I think are almost more experiments. Right. They're they're in that innovation budget is what I'll call it, quote unquote, where you're doing something to see if it becomes useful, but you're not really completely sure of the value today or tomorrow, frankly. And I think that where we can come in with a really powerful pitch is that we're actually giving you something today through your existing channels for a mass market audience. But we're also giving you access to all of this experimentation and innovation and the knowledge from every other brand that's working with us all in one. And so I think that that's, that tends to be where we hit the most success is being able to understand, always understand the why, right? Like why is someone, it, it, this goes back to the hiring, it goes back to partnerships with you. Why is someone talking to you? What is it that they're looking for? So much of, and one of the biggest lessons I've learned in the last two years has been around the art of listening, I think. A lot of times as a startup, and it's just the expectation, you walk into a meeting or a pitch and you're told to explain your company and the tendency is to take up the whole time talking about yourself, selling yourself. And I actually don't think that's particularly effective. Like you might have to give an overview, but the best way to sell yourself in your company is to ask questions up front. What are you interested in this space? What are you doing in this space? Understanding how they're thinking about it will enable you to create a pitch that's customized for them. And that is going to work so much better. People want to hear basically their own thoughts put back at them in a new way or with some kind of additive format. And so if they say, I'm really interested in the metaverse because I really believe fully virtual worlds are going to be the future, then I kind of know up front that my whole pitch on AR may not land as well. And actually what I need to do is connect their thinking on the metaverse to today and saying, okay, well, that's great. And that certainly will be a part of what tomorrow is. The question is, how can you engage in that world and also have value today and and accessibility today and people who aren't engaged in a fully virtual world. And they're like, yeah, that makes sense. And then you can kind of pitch yourself versus some people who are like, I don't really believe in the metaverse and virtual worlds, in which case I can come in with something like that makes perfect sense. That's definitely out in the future. It's really about using technology to connect to the real world. And they'll say, yes, that's exactly what I mean. It's the same thing, same company, but by understanding how they think about it, you can do something where basically their reaction should be, yes, that makes sense. And that's what I want to do. Yeah. You're speaking their language. Exactly. So when you think of, first of all, you're a founder and this is a world that is so untapped that your mind is probably racing a million miles per second every day of 
all the ideas and ways that you can advance your technology, go into this world, go into this part of it. How do you just check out for a second and rest and just feel like in your power and not needing to be on? Like what is, what are the things you do to just escape that for a bit? You know, I think that the back of my mind is almost always thinking about the company in some kind of way, but I think that there's a really large difference between it being at the forefront of your mind versus kind of on the back burner. I have lots of moments in my day where I'm sort of not actively thinking about it. I think the most the most clear for me is when I physically remove myself from my space. I am a big believer that your environment dictates your mood, can dictate what you're thinking about and has a huge amount of impact. I think people actually devalue how much your space impacts your head. And so for me, the biggest thing I do every afternoon, I take a walk. Every afternoon I take a walk and that's a chance for me to just, it's a huge de-stressor moment for me getting some, I mean, sunshine or occasionally it's fog and rain since I live in San Francisco, (laughs) but even just getting some fresh air and feeling something on my face for a second and, you know, and being able to walk around, I think is incredibly beneficial. I really am a huge believer. And this came back from the days in which I was, you know, doing math basically as a career that walking is one of the best ways to keep your mind and body in synchronicity. And so I'm a huge fan of just going and walking and it just clears your head. It lets you breathe. It de-stresses you. And it's a sort of this incredible natural reset moment. So every afternoon I take a walk. I think that's probably the biggest thing I I do. When you think of the future of Illumix, what are you most excited about? You know, when I think about the future of Illumix, it's, it's actually more tied to when I think about the future period. Like I am really genuinely so excited for, I think this idea of, you know what, I'm looking out the window right now of when digital objects where there could be digital things flying through the windows where I could see, you know, digital pets on the roofs or, you know, whatever it is. I think that there's like a future that is coming here sooner than we expect, you know, within the next five, 10 years, you know, generously, that's gonna look completely different and be this sort of imagination come to life. Like I would love, to experience that. I think that's what that's what's so wonderful about storybooks and movies and these franchises, you know, like Harry Potter or anything else is it's getting to walk into someone else's imagination and walking into someone else's world. And it's a beautiful, incredible, inspiring and very connecting thing, I think, for humans. And I think that's what we're going to be able to do, but in a way where you are actually a protagonist in those stories, where you get to walk in and see how other people are experiencing the world. And I am so very excited for, I think, what happens when digital content is unleashed past our screens. That's that's how I think about it. It's an unleashed. It's almost like they're locked away right now. And I think we're going to hit that moment. And I think for Illumix, you know, obviously we've designed the company to be able to excel in that moment where we're the ones powering and sort of that infrastructure and that pipes powering this type of content. And so I think it will be just so exciting to be the enabling function for what I really believe will be the most important change in our future since the internet. That is incredibly exciting to think about. I love that answer. So last question. This has been an amazing interview. I can't wait to listen back and probably take a million notes on all of the things you're saying. We actually have a weekly, every other week now, we have like a virtual reality task team meeting where we go through all Amazing. We'll probably be uh, on on the screen in our meeting. What would you say is your number one piece of advice for a woman who is wanting to start her own business? Think big. 
it sounds obvious and basic, but for specifically for women, it's the biggest challenge I see is that they come and it's almost like a wanted, it's almost like the idea starts big and you start to make it smaller and smaller to make it feel more achievable. I think there's a, I see a lot of that in the women I mentor or, you know, after conferences who come up with me and the bigger your idea, you know, actually in some ways, the easier the journey, right? It is easier to get funded when you're talking about disrupting a huge market. Like don't go for organic baby diapers because that's something that you're familiar with. Go for a huge cybersecurity play, just really everything. And it's not, and I know that everyone has a huge dream and has a really unique perspective on what the world is going to look like and how it's going to change and how they're going to participate in it. I think, I honestly believe we're all born with that and that we all have the potential to enact huge change through change through what we do in our lives. And I think whatever that dream is for you, and obviously my head goes to technology, but it could be a million things. It could be, you know, don't change one particular genre, change how all of that is done, change the infrastructure behind that, change the rules for what is allowed, but take whatever your biggest dream is and go for it. Because the reality is, even if even if you're wildly ambitious and you fail, you will have gotten so much further chasing that big dream than you would have going after the small thing. And the reality is, I think, you know, it's sort of a suitcase problem. I, I, I actually literally have a suitcase problem all the time is no matter what size suitcase I put, I fill it. Even when I tell myself, I'm not, I always, you always fill the suitcase. If you tell yourself, I'm gonna give myself a year for the small goal versus I'm gonna give myself a year for this huge goal, you're gonna fill that time. And so you might as well go for the big goal because even if you don't get there, you'll get five X further than the small. So my biggest advice is just don't shy away from, I think the vastness of your own potential. Mm, that is absolutely brilliant. I think we should make that the title of your episode. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Karen, thank you so much for your time today. I know it's a Saturday and you're super busy. I loved chatting with you. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I've had so much fun. Okay, I hope you enjoyed this episode and are feeling so fired up to go out there and create that business or side hustle that's been on your to-do list, you know, a little bit longer than you care to admit. It is never too late to make the first step towards the life you want more than anything else. If you haven't already, make sure you are subscribed to the show so that you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, keep becoming the woman of your wildest dreams.